Welcome to Executives at the Edge, a podcast brought to you by MEF. I'm your host, Pascal Venezes. Join me as we explore thought-provoking perspectives from the leaders and changemakers who are propelling enterprise digital transformation forward. I would like to welcome Ash Young from Kashengo. He's the president and CEO. This is going to be a really interesting episode, a lot to do with AI and edge compute. And I'm really excited. And I want to welcome you, Ash, to Executives at the Edge. Well, thanks, Pascal. I, uh, I'm happy to be here. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, Ash? I think you have a very fascinating background, and we always start with that. And our listeners love to hear about the background. My background's all over the place. I mean, fundamentally, I've got, I've been in the storage industry now for uh, a little over 30 years. I started off designing test equipment for all the different hard drive manufacturers, then moved on to, to RAID controllers when people were still convinced that RAID was a bug killer. <laughs> and then, uh, then that pro- progressed to SANS, right, and those controllers, and, and then cloud storage. And nice. And you have a quite a good development background too, right? Uh, yes, I, uh, I suppose so. I started off uh, as a nuclear engineer in the, uh, in the Navy. And then, but when I got out of the Navy, um, even though my, my uh, college background was in math, physics, and electrical engineering, the, uh, the first job I could get out of the Navy was as a mechanical engineer. And I had no CAD background, so I had to learn real fast. And um, so I started off doing that. And uh, then uh, the way I got into writing software was I was just tired of being told no as a marketing guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, no, it can't be done. No, it, uh, you know, we don't have time to do it. No, we don't know how. And um, so I figured I'd better learn. Well, it seems like I know just before we've been talking, you have a great developer background in software and now a data scientist too. So um, very important for AI and ML. So um, we'll get more into that discussion. So tell us more about what does Kachenko do? It's okay, by the way. So um, we actually did a video segment with, with all kinds of folks and even the same people pronouncing it differently each time. And it's actually... <laughs> We think it actually builds, adds to the character of, of the company. The original pronunciation was cash and go, but people thought we were processing uh, payroll checks. And um, so, and then one of the guys just removed the hyphens and it just kind of rolled off the tongue as Kashengo. But, you know, it's, um, we, we, we let people uh, pronounce it anyway, especially when they're uh, state politicians. Um, but uh, the company is really focused on uh, edge edge compute and edge storage. We figure, you know, when you look at the edge, um, you know, there's data being produced all around us every day. We just, you know, we started off wanting to be that company that could capture that data as close to where it was happening as possible. So when you look at our products, um, they're ultra low power, they're very small and compact, but they also have all the resiliency and stuff that you'd expect in enterprise and cloud systems. But then we went a step further. We thought, well, if we're gathering all this data at the edge, where do we process it? We can move the data to where the processing is, or we can try to move the analytics and the processing to where now the data sits. And that's really, that's really where we where we uh, 
kind of live and breathe these days is making that happen. So anyway, so I hope that answers the question. Yeah, it does. So explain how the form factor of this, because this is actually intriguing. It means these things are basically small factored appliances that can go in and very low wattages that can go really anywhere almost. Can you give a given description like um, of these the appliances? Sure. So, um, you know, we call our box, we, we have different names for our boxes, but fundamentally the boards that are inside of them are little servers. We call them symbiotes. And the reason why we call them symbiotes is kind of, I'm a movie geek. I actually like the word. Yeah. That's so awesome. um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a movie geek. And, um, and so the form factor, when you look at the form factor and how small it is, there's a lot of folks that have taken these, you know, made decisions on different form factors over the years, and they've made trade-offs um, for, for going too small. Um, what we've done is we started off with a two and a half inch form factor, uh, dry form factor. And we thought, well, you know, there's all these connectors, there's all these legacy backplanes out there. What if we use that form factor? We know how dense we can pack things. And what if we add some memory, a network controller and a processor to that? And now in our new generation of symbiotes, we're going even further. Now we're adding additional TPUs. Um, so we'll explain to our listeners where TPU and came from Google and so uh, most people I think by now are fairly familiar if they're dealing with machine learning and AI they're used to dealing with the idea of having a GPU um, a um, to help process the mathematics well strip away all the unnecessary uh, graphics side of things and the part that does the uh, that does all the tensor mathematics that's the TPU so it's parallel processing designed for just doing deep neural networks or IML. It really is. It's kind of like we jumped in a time machine. We went back to the 486, 586 days where you had a math coprocessor, and, but now it's on steroids. So you got this really small form factor symbiotes, is that what you said? That's correct. And then you put them together into a box that is no more than a very small. I'm looking at it, it's like crazy. It's and you can what you can have different box sizes too, right? And, Absolutely. And so, what would box size look like that to me? Is uh, so it's a very modular configuration, and what looks like a standard storage switch that the symbiotes plug into is really in our world, and coming from uh, telecommunications and and all its related industries, um, it's a top of rack switch. This particular one that I'm holding is a 10 gigabit top of rack switch. We also have a 100 gigabit top of rack switch. That's the same size. And then we have uh, eight symbiotes that plug into these top of rack switches. Now, one of these assemblies that we refer to as a sled, one of them makes up what we call a bento. Oh, nice. And that's what we package as a bento. So if you're wondering what a bento is, it's, it's basically one sled of, of eight symbiotes. If you want a rack mount configuration, well, that starts off with four of those sleds. And we call that... Uh, Pizza, so because it kind of resembles a pizza, pizza box. box, yeah, absolutely. And then we have another one, uh, another configuration that we call jukebox. Uh, doesn't have anything to do with food. Um, well, I guess it does if you think of like the '50s diners. Um, but uh, jukebox is twelve of those uh, sled configurations for up to ninety-six nodes in a uh, in a one U. Now, what's really interesting, I think, for our listeners is that you've come out with this very small form factor edge box that has both CPU, 
um, GPU, which is really TPU, right? And all the storage and memory. Um, it's all packaged in one very, very small form factor, like a hard drive. Correct. Uh, and basically then you can then put a bunch of them together into like you said, the bento box, pizza box and, and so on. And the great thing about the small, small form factors is you can put them in like, talk about the use cases like automotives, uh, buses. So the data as it's processing right there lands right on these boxes, right in the bus. They don't have to go anywhere else. Um, so you said you want to move the compute, the storage, and the processing analytics closer to the data. So what's, what is, give us some use cases now in this example, like automotive use case or any use cases. So it, uh, the easiest use case to think of um, that shows the kind of the evolution of the thought process, because when you think about all this, it's not necessarily, you know, we don't really have customers that are coming to us for all these edge compute use cases. The way it started off with New Jersey Transit was, uh, do you <laughs> we heard about your solution. We think it would be a great expansion storage solution for the video uh, generated on our buses. Yeah, that's great. That's where it started, you know, expansion storage. Um, by the way, if you, if you collect all this uh, uh, video surveillance on the buses, can your box facilitate uploading this at the, uh, at the bus stations and, and garages at the end of the day? Well, sure. And then it kind of progressed from there. Well, gee, if, uh, if you got all this computing capability on there, is there any chance that we could tie into that and you know, do some passenger counting uh, and other low-level analytics on the, um, uh, while the data is still sitting in the buses? Sure, absolutely. So we designed some software to, to make that really easy. But then it came down to uh, more sophisticated inference capabilities like using object classifications to, uh, and the onboard surveillance to detect you know, various types of threats. And then they started saying, well, gee, you know, it's the same solution. It hasn't changed. It met the initial need. And then, well, gee, now we have another need. And we could accommodate that. And so the needs just kept growing. The use cases would just keep growing. So this is computer vision now you're talking about. This is computer vision, but now it goes beyond computer vision. When you think about all the things that we're tracking and correlating inside the buses, inside these, uh, inside these moving vehicles, such as GPS data, all the, uh, uh, the various mechanical sensors that go into the vehicles, like right. when a vehicle goes exactly. in the back, uh, goes into reverse or slams on the brakes. Right. Uh, the GPS information is not just positional, but we know which direction they're going. We know um, what speed they're going at. So we're getting all this information. And now, now you can start, you know, the, the data is starts telling a story because you might see in the video someone falling, but you don't know that, gee, someone might have just cut them off until you see the sudden stoppage because of that, uh, that, that signal coming from the brake. Then that might prompt you to then go look at the uh, front-facing cameras on the vehicle to see, oh, this is why. So you start getting a lot more of the, of the, uh, of the whole picture. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So basically what you're saying is one event will then trigger a set of other analytics to look at it to get a bigger picture of what's really going on. That's correct. And that takes, that's a very sophisticated set of ML, um, you know, uh, AI kind of uh, functions. So do you develop yourself for that? 
we, uh, we started off doing a POC. We got there on a Wednesday, and then we were told, by the way, the POC officially ends next Wednesday. And we had no video management recording software at all. So Jimmy, our CTO, and I, we were sitting there locked up in this tiny room. Not really locked up, but it felt like it. We were in this little, we locked ourselves in this tiny room. Nobody heard us. But we, um, but we began working on this around the clock to meet that deadline. And we wrote all of that from scratch. Wow, that's impressive. And, and, and it's involved from there because... When you take into account thousands of vehicles and hundreds of fixed locations times, you know, tens of cameras per vehicle, it's a lot of data to try to correlate and make sense of and be able to search. And that solution just didn't, you know, which facet of that solution exists in the commercial marketplace today, apart from what we just wrote? Yep, exactly. So, so is the vehicle why you, um, the vehicle is a very critical aspect of where you're targeting right now, that space. I mean, it could be put on aircrafts or anything, but basically, I mean, you're starting to see your first kind of adoption is kind of in the buses, vehicle kind of market. I think that the mobile edge compute use cases, which we originally anticipated to be much further out, um, it, it, it is definitely a, uh, become the attraction for us. Uh, the need is is very aggressive. The need is not very easily met by other solutions, and that's really created opportunity for us. Believe it or not, we actually started with our first use case was focused on livestock, yeah. agriculture. Oh my gosh. We actually went after agriculture first, and then the mobile side of things approached us by accident. Well, I can see these boxes, I mean, especially if they're environmental friendly, um, then basically you can use them to do all kinds of stuff. I mean, you have the analytics like there locally. But anyways, we're digressing and we have only a few minutes left. So why, why, why join? And I know you have an offering with SD-WAN, so maybe you can explain how these things work with SD-WAN. I saw that you have these boxes talking into an SD-WAN kind of fabric and they talk to each other. Can you? If you articulate that better. Sure. If, if you think about it, right, I mean, our bentos and pizzas, they all sit behind firewalls for numerous reasons. Um, but we're building up, we're, we're, you know, instead of taking really large data center components and trying to partition that for, for all these different uh, services and microservices, what we're doing is we're taking a lot of bare metal servers deployed by the thousands yeah. all over the place. And we're building up, we're scaffolding bigger services off these small resources. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we don't always have access to an unlimited number of public IP addresses. Mm -hmm. So we had to come up with a way to network all these things, all these different services and hardware together in a way that could easily scale. And so when we were going down that path and, and, and creating our SD-WAN solution, uh, we had to look at that. We had to look at how do we do this in a, peer, in a truly peer-to-peer -peer fashion without relying on any kind of open ports, um, uh, you know, in, inbound ports, that is, uh, without relying on, um, on anything in the middle. So, and that's what we did. And we, we created a... Um, an easy uh, 
you know, one touch configuration panel that allows our, our customers to configure thousands of units and services with a single click. And they're fully meshed together. They're fully meshed together. Right. And that's awesome. And then, so they don't have to worry about all that connectivity. And then is there a hierarchy? Cause it's cash and go. So I mean, cash is, was a, a key point, right? That's correct. And so is there a hierarchy where the data will get processed and then maybe the data will further get processed, select data will go up to storage somewhere else in the cloud or something? Do you have that kind of scenario? Absolutely. And, and I think that's really the heart of what we're trying to do. We're not trying to displace um, anything that's cloud-based. We just think that it's a massive amount of raw data to try to move to then process. Um, it's really hard to get around the latencies. But what if you could process the data first and foremost, right, right at the edge where it's happening, and then move just and then move the results uh, to the cloud, and then from there you can choose whether or not you really have to get all of the data set up to the cloud. Or yeah, not. it makes a lot of sense, and relevant data too. So that's correct. It's really is that I like the word now. I see why caching go, because that's really important. So it's a cache. Um, but but cache with with logic and processing that you can process locally with with AIML built in the neural network. So that's very impressive. Well, thank you. Um, so what why so why you're a member of MEF? You also joined the MEF blockchain network with the fundamentals being the integrated trust network that has a com- combination of Mobi and MEF. Can you explain what that's all about in your world and how that? fits with Kashenga? Absolutely. Um, a lot of these things, the technologies that we have that go into our products and solutions, we created in a vacuum over many years now. Um, and, but as we move forward, we realize that open standards are a very key uh, part of interoperability. Uh, it was easy to go ahead and, well, okay, some of my engineers will smack me for saying that uh, it's easy. I want to trivialize what we've done, but the tech, you know, we came up with some great technologies, but if we really want wide scale adoption and interoperability at just about every level with the, with the industry and the ecosystem, we have to have standards. And that's where we see MEF and Mobi and, and, uh, and what we're doing now on the integrated trust network really coming into play. We could build our own, and we have built our own identity uh, network solution that is uh, blockchain protected. But it's a lot better to have something that's interoperable and really used by all the rest of the ecosystem partners. And so we have, you know, we have OEMs, we have insurance companies, we have component suppliers, we have the distribution, we have the whole ecosystem participating in this whole solution, recognizing the need for a truly interoperable solution. So just for the listeners, so the integrated trust network is really a blockchain network where decentralized IDs are stored from the W3C standards, which has then verify your credentials, VCs, right? And that is applied to any device, machine or user, but mainly machines now or applications can actually go ahead and get a credential, a digital credential, and that's used for anything they want to do. So is that, is that correct? That's correct. Basically, it is a standardized way for not just people to interoperate or even people with services, but the things that we manage to interoperate with other things once we've established those trusts. So if you think about it, right, we're establishing the new type of 
device level whitelisting um, that's trusted and can't be easily overridden by some kind of rogue activity. Right, and so it makes total sense. So basically with this digital ID that is trusted, you can then go and do things with it in a bigger ecosystem. As you talked about insurance, automotive standards, buying network services and so on, right? That is correct. Basically what we're doing is think of it as the lifestyle management of a thing as it, as it transitions from one ownership to another ownership, that life cycle, that history remains with the thing. Yeah, and, in and the blockchain, yeah. Exactly, and, and so, and it's cross-industry. Yeah, cross-industry, which is perfect. And, and now today, there's about 15 node operators on ITN, Integrated Trust Network, right? Including that is correct. MEF members and Mobi members. Mobi is a mobility uh, kind of nonprofit, right? That is correct. And then you're also part of that, um, all of this. And, and at the end of the day, the goal is to have this huge set of vertical industries all having the ability to trust each other because they've got this digital ID that's being validated and trusted. And then additionally, each ID has a verified credential of what it can do or what allows it to do. Like, is, is that correct? That is correct. And I'd like to add that it's that it's um, it's complementary to other technologies that are out there, such as OAuth and, and yeah. others. So, so again, it's all part of this building this 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 scaffold of trust. So, you know, I don't think ITN has set out to become the one you know one thing to you know for everything kind of a solution. It uh, it works together and it's addressing something that really has been, I think, neglected at a device level. Right. Well, Ash, you know, we're running out of time. I want to thank you for your for participating and joining us in the Executives for the Edge podcast. And a fascinating company, fascinating background, love your product, and uh, thank you again. Well, thank you, Pascal. It's been a pleasure to be here.